let it go forth from here to the nations let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather to see your face let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather morning and welcome to Elizabethtown Mennonite Church. Whether you are here in person with us or worshiping from home or listening weeks from now, we are glad that you are with us. Um, and just want to remind you that you are one of us. Um, we are all a broken people in need of a savior. And we are so deeply loved and adored by our creator this morning. And I just want to um, gently remind you um, of this. Um, I realize that in wearing masks to sing, your voice stays with you a little more than what it did. And some of you maybe don't like to hear yourself sing. But I want to remind you that we don't sing because we have good voices. We sing because God is good. And you don't have to have the best voice in the world, but what he wants is for you to bring your best this morning. And in Psalms 30 verse 4, it tells us, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of him, his, and give thanks to the at the remembrance of his holy name. But singing isn't the only way to praise Jesus. There's praising through instruments. First Chronicles 15, 28. So all of Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with a shout and with the sound of the ram's horn and with trumpets and cymbals, making music on harps and lyres. Shouting praises to God, Psalms 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous one, and shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart. Clapping as praise to God, Isaiah 52, 12. For you should go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Raising of hands in praise. Lamentations 3:41. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Dancing is a biblical expression of praise. Ecclesiastes 3:4. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And bowing down before God is an expression of praise. Nehemiah 8, 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground.
And wherever you find yourself this morning, whether it's on the mountaintop or in a deep, deep valley or somewhere in between, praise is an appropriate response. It is a needed response. Not because of where we find ourselves positionally, but solely because of who God is and what he has done and will do. So we're going to take a minute this morning and just sing the name of Jesus over and over again. Um, And as I was um, playing this song this week, it's called Tremble, there were two phrases that I found myself singing over and over again. And we're going to do that this morning. Um, It's peace, bring it all to peace, and breathe, call these bones to live. But first, we're going to just spend some time and invite Jesus into our hearts this morning. We're going to invite Jesus to move in this space this morning. And we're going to praise him for who he is. to be known and to be felt in the world. 
Jesus, we declare your peace in our relationships, Jesus. We declare your peace. We declare your peace in the decisions that we have made and that we will make, Jesus. Peace. Peace. Bring it all to peace.
Jesus, we come before you this morning. We worship you. Jesus, I just ask that you would come and flip the tables of compromise in our hearts. As we worship, we invite you, Jesus, to come into your temple, our life, and examine the table of our hearts, Jesus. And if you find anything that is there that steals from our relationship, remind us that worship says, I love you, God, more than all these things. Jesus, we present the table of our hearts before you this morning. We say that our heart is yours. You purchased it at a high price. And it is yours to do with what you wish. You may place on it anything that you want. You may you may remove from it anything that you'd like. Jesus, again, we just ask that as we worship you, that you would come and flip the tables within our hearts. We welcome you. We welcome you into this space, Jesus, into our hearts. And as we create an environment for you to move, Jesus, we ask that you would come and just blow on through. That you would just come and blow through with a fresh wind this morning. There's a chorus from, um, I think the song is called Spirit Move. And it's, it's not going to be up on the screen. But the words are, so come and blow on through. Spirit move. We're ready for you to come and blow on through. Come and do what only you can do. We're going to try and sing that, okay? So come and blow on through. Spirit move. We're ready for you to come and blow on through. Come and do what only you can do. So come and blow on through. Spirit move. We're ready for you to come and blow on through. To come and do what only
Just sing his name. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Again, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord.
speak what is true. Here's my life, here's my life, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. Speak what is true. Speak what is true. Speak what is true. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Please join us in standing for this next song.
the author and perfecter of our faith and the lover of our souls. And you are worthy to be praised. And we just thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us. And Lord, we just pray that as um, we listen to the word that you have for us this morning, that our hearts would be open, that you would that you would reveal those things in our hearts, Lord, and in our lives that um, are not pleasing to you. Areas, Lord, where you desire to transform us and to make us uh, more like you. And so I thank you, Lord, that you have a word for us this morning. I pray, Lord, as your word uh, comes through Conrad, that he would simply be an open vessel before you, Lord that his eyes would be fixed and focused on you, the Alpha and the Omega. Lord, that you would give him clarity and um, strength in his voice. Lord, that he would only uh, speak what it is that you desire for us to hear. I pray for strength and for protection to be upon him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. Welcome to those of you who are here with us this morning in person. And those of you who are watching by uh, YouTube or will be watching later, thank you, Kate, for leading us this morning in that um, time of entering God's presence. We're in a series looking at the names of Jesus, and last uh, week and the week before, we were looking at uh, specific names related to who Jesus is, and today it's the Alpha and Omega, which comes out of Revelation the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is called, or calls himself, the Alpha and Omega, which in Greek is the first letter of the alphabet in Greek and the, second, and the last letter of the alphabet, the Alpha and the Omega. It appears again later on in chapter 22. So the book of Revelation begins with God's declaration of Jesus as Alpha and Omega, and at the ends with Alpha and Omega as well. My title of this morning's message is something like this, Are You Living Between the Alpha and the Omega? Where is your residence this morning? Where have you taken up residence? When we think about buying a house or renting a house or somewhere we're going to live, we pay a lot of attention, usually if we can, to what's around it. What's the property like? What are the roads like? What's the quality of life like? What's the school district like? We pay a lot of attention to the kinds of things that are important to us. But the question for us this morning is, when we think about our spiritual residence, are we paying attention to where we're living? Are we paying attention to where we're dwelling? Are we living on the pathway between the Alpha and Omega? Because the scripture is clear that there is this eschatological journey we're on, and we talked about that when we looked at, book, at, at Paul's life uh, last fall or last, uh, spring. And this journey that we are on where whether we get on it or not is still going to go on. 
That is, Jesus and, and, and the Father and Spirit have us on a journey towards the coming kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. And what we're up to in this time is a kind of excavation project where God has called us each to jump in and join that journey. But whether we jump in or not isn't going to change the fact that the journey's going on. And so whether or not we are living between the Alpha and Omega isn't going to change the fact that there is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and that is Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I had the honor of officiating the wedding of Landon and Abby Wanger. Congratulations, Ron and Tina, if you're here this morning. Heidi and I have the privilege of doing their counseling and preparation. Landon and Abby are part of Generation Z. They had, so they're the Omegas, right? They had smartphones. Generation Z, if you pay any attention to generation, these generational, um, kind of arbitrary, but in some ways useful, particularly for those who want to market to uh, baby boomers and millennials and Generation Z, X, Y, and so on. Uh, Generation Zers had smartphones by the time they were about 10 years old. They lived, they've largely lived their growing up years on phones. They're comfortable with ambiguity and nuance. They're more isolated in many ways than generations before them, and having COVID hasn't, hasn't helped us with that. They spend a lot of time on their phones and gaming, but they're also incredibly open to being loved, to being cared for, and to being in meaningful relationships. And I think in part because, in some ways, this isolation has created this incredible hunger to be in relationship. It's interesting to me that somewhere along the line, about the middle, time, middle of this century, uh, we, last century, we began to call these different cohorts, about 20-year blocks, cohorts of generations, by the letters of the alphabet. Of course, the boomers were not an alphabet. Um, they're something of their own. Um, millennials were not an alphabet. They've got their own thing going, too. But then we went to Generation X, Y, and Z. Um, and it's interesting, when we think about the Alpha and Omega that we've kind of placed these generations between in that journey, in that space that I just talked about between Alpha and Omega. The new generation, the children being born, Lily and Dutch back there, you're Generation Alpha is the new name for you, Generation Alpha. So again, I come back to this question, are we living, all of us, between the Alpha and Omega, between the first and the last, between what was and what is and what is to come? If we are, if our residence is somewhere between the Alpha and Omega, if our residence is somewhere within God, I'm telling you this morning, we have no reason to be afraid, none. We have no reason to be afraid, none. If, we are, if our residence is on that pathway somewhere between the Alpha and the Omega, there's no other space that is more safe. No matter how the mountains might be shaking or no matter how things might feel around us, there's no safer space than to be between the Alpha and Omega. Because that means we are dwelling and our dwelling place is God himself. But if you're like me, there are so many questions pressing us every day. Urgent questions, immediate questions. What's going to happen in early November when we have the presidential election? What will happen after the election? When will this pandemic finally be over? When will we at life get back to normal? When will I be able to preach or teach without wearing a mask? Teach without wearing a mask? Uh, and those are just some of the macro level questions. And there are all kinds of little questions in our lives that so most days don't seem so little. But they're difficult questions and we get consumed by them, by our news, about our health, about our finances, about our job, about our children, on and on and on. We are consumed by these questions that grab hold of us and they tie us up in knots and they keep us from experiencing what is part of this pathway between the Alpha and Omega. 
And when we ask these questions, we hear so many responses, lots of responses. To any one of the questions I just asked above or to any one of the questions that you're asking yourself this morning, there are a myriad responses that you will hear. If we talk together about these questions, we would hear lots of different responses. And it's easy to assume that words and language have no meaning anymore. That it's just a pile of alphabet soup with no right or wrong answer. It's just confusion and chaos. Just different sides, different perspectives, different vocabularies. There's no right answer or no wrong answer. It doesn't matter where you live or how you live your life. It's just confusion. It's just chaos. But today's message, and I'm going to, we're going to spend most of our time in Isaiah 44. Today's message reminds us that there still is spoken truth. And it is spoken by the one who is the first letter in the alphabet and the last letter of the alphabet. The one who is the beginning and the end. The one who is and is to come. There is one story being written, folks. There's only one story that matters. I don't care what you... I like in the afternoon to read a particular newspaper. I like to read the New York Times. It helps me get ready for class in a week. But whatever newspaper you're listening, what reading, or whatever channel you're watching these days, I've said this before, none of the headlines matter like this headline. None of the headlines matter like this headline, that God is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the one who is and was and is to come. And if you and I are living in that headline, we're going to be all right. If we are living in that headline, we are going to be okay. Can you say amen? It doesn't matter what our little problems are or our big problems are. That's the safest place to be on this road to Zion. Every other question we have will be taken care of. Every question. I want you to think this morning about your life and where you're at and what you came in with and what's the question that you're asking? What's most pressing on your mind this morning in your heart? And maybe you even have to distract yourself from it to hear my question. My question is, what's your question? What what are you struggling with this morning? What's most painful for you? What's most difficult for you? What's most challenging for you? I just want you to rest with that for a moment. And if you can, I'd like you just to release that in prayer to the Lord in this moment. And just to give that to Him, and in doing so, remind yourself that you are safe right now. That you are safe. That the answer to that question will come if you need to know it. If you don't need to know it, it won't come. But you are safe. I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44 is probably the place in the Old Testament that is closest to this idea, to this truth that God is Alpha and Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the ending, the one who is and is and is to come. And I love this passage when I turned to it as I was preparing and found that it helps us to understand why this truth of God being the beginning and the end is so important to hang on to. It helps us to understand why this pathway between the Alpha and Omega, this journey that God has us on towards His coming kingdom, is so important to hang on to because we are part of a grand epic story. We're we're part of a big story. It's so easy to imagine that our lives are this small thing that's happening and it feels out of control. But the reality is if we are living between the Alpha and Omega, it's just part of a grand story in which God is taking care of all things. And all things someday are going to be wrapped up in Jesus Christ and you and I included if we're on this pathway. 
It is a large story. It's a big story for those who choose to live on that pathway. And again, it's the safest story in the safest place. Turn with me to Isaiah 44, 1 to 5, if you would. And I'm going to read just these first five verses for a moment. And then we'll come back and I'll walk you through some of the other verses and read some of the other verses as well. This is one of the most comforting chapters in the book of Isaiah, although so many of them are comforting in, in spite of the fact that they're filled with judgment, which in, if we're being judged by God, there's comfort in that as well. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. Pay attention, Israel. Pay attention, Jacob. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Coming to a bunch of exiles in Babylon, this had to be comforting. And those who had already come back to Israel, to Judea. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I want you to hear that this morning related to whatever the question was you're wrestling with, whatever the struggle is. Do not be afraid. Can we say that together? Do not be afraid. And again, do not be afraid. These aren't idle words. The scripture is full time and time and time again of, these, of, this, of this encouragement to us by God. Do not be afraid. If God was joking, he wouldn't have said it so many times. He wouldn't joke about something like this. I said earlier in the numbers of times, one of the first verses my mom taught me was, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Over and over again, God pleads with his children, don't be afraid because you're on my road and I'm watching that highway. You're not going to be abandoned on that highway. You're not going to be vulnerable on that highway. I'm going to protect you on that highway. It's not that you won't ever get hurt, but I'm with you on that highway. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob, and still another will write on his hand, the Lord's. And they will take the name of Israel. God begins in this passage as he so often does with promise and with hope and with assurance that he is the creator and his plans are to prosper us and to care for us and to have compassion on us. And as he so often does throughout the scripture, he's looking down the road because he is after all the omega. He is after all the one who is to come. He is after all the ending. And so, so often throughout scripture, God is not just looking in the present moment like we so often are, but he's looking ahead. He's paying attention to what's coming ahead. And that's one of the reasons you and I can take such comfort in being on the road between the Alpha and Omega, because we're, we're, we're on the road that where someone is in charge of what's ahead. We're on the road where someone who owns that road is paying attention to what's coming down the road. You and I can rest comforting, comfortably in the security of knowing that what is coming down the road is going to be safe for us and even good for us. For the one who is the beginning and the end has a perspective on the future that you and I do not have, period. I mean, how often do we think we even know what the weather is going to be like in the afternoon and it's something else? We can't predict the stock market. We can't predict the election. We, we are hopeless at predicting, but we spend so much of our energy thinking about it. So much of our energy seeking it out. God is not stuck in the present moment with only the present moment to guide him or the past to guide him. So many of our predictions are based on the past. 
As a sociologist, we look at previous behavior to predict what's coming down in the future. God is not restricted by present behavior or what's present or what's past because he can see into the future. He knows what's coming, and because he can see, he can plan for the future, for my future, and for your future. In science and sociology as well, we call living in the empirical world, that world that we can taste and we can touch and we can see and we can feel, the the world that's of our senses. And that is the most dominant world for us because the senses are all around us. We're always smelling, we're always tasting, we're seeing, we're touching, we're hearing. We're bombarded by the empirical world that's around us. And so often that's the world then that we take residence in. We take up residence in the empirical world and it's a good world but it's not the only world. And so we live in this world that we can feel with our senses. And all of the time, that world is screaming at us for our attention. And it's saying things like, but look over here at me, I'm the true world. Or look over here at me, I'm the real world. You should worry about this, and you should worry about that, and you should worry about something else. And if you don't have enough to worry about, think about this, for example. What if this happens, and that happens, and on and on. And so because of all of these voices, that are coming at us, we become anxious and we become afraid and fearful. And yet we come back to God this morning who says, don't be afraid and fearful of what is to come. I've got it. I'm excavating this road for you, for you personally, for your marriage, for your family, for your children, for the church and for the world. What God is doing in this passage is trying to raise our eyes to something beyond ourselves. He's trying to raise our eyes to the Alpha and Omega The story that transcends what is happening in this moment. The story that transcends what is present now. This is bigger than the present moment. It's so much bigger than what I walked in with this morning, what you walked in with. Amen? What we walked in with is, as I've said before, a footnote to what the bigger story is that we get to be part of. And that's the wonderful news for us this morning. It's what Kate was leading us into as she challenged us to live in praise. To look beyond what is and and to look at what is to come. To look at the one who lives at the end, and also still lives at the beginning. That's the amazing thing. God lives at the beginning. God lives at the end. To be eternal means he is, he was, he is to come. He's Alpha and Omega. He's both. He's all. And then Isaiah goes on to compare those who live within God's story. So we've got these first five verses for those who live within God's story and who live, he's switching gears now. He's taking us from those who live between the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, to those who simply live by their senses, to those who simply live by what they hear and see and feel and taste and touch. That's what's happening in this passage next. We're going to look at it. It's talking about idols, but it's about the stuff that we can feel, taste, hear, and see, because that's our temptation, to stay in that world, to live in the present world of what we can taste, touch, see, but that's not the world of faith. It's an important world where God wouldn't have created. It's a good world. And yet, it's not the only world, it's not the biggest world, it's not the transcendent world that we're called into. And if that's the only world we live in, we are going to be anxious and depressed and and discouraged creatures. But there's such such a bigger world that we're called into. Verse 9, I'd like you to go with me there. Isaiah is talking about those who would build, create idols. And he says this, All who make idols are nothing. And the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand that they will be brought down to terror and infamy. 
The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in his coals. And he shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might on his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is a man, that is this lumber, this wood, this timber is a, is a man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and he bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. And then from the rest of it he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me. You are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are so plastered over they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one comes to... No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, wait a minute, half of this I used for fuel, and half of it I baked bread and roasted meat. And from the other half, I'm paraphrasing, I built a block of wood out of which came an idol. Isaiah, as he reflects back on this, is suggesting that, is saying very clearly, those who take this wood and build an idol that they also use to roast their meat and bake their bread, and that they also use to keep them warm, are blind and are ignorant. They don't understand. Because he's saying, who creates something to worship that has no power to save them? Nothing you and I can create has the power to save us. The blacksmith toils, gets hungry and thirsty and faints because he's making it, this idol of metal. He's working so hard. The, compass, the carpenter has to, use, has to measure and make an outline and use a compass. I'm going to stop for a minute. I'm watching the clock way too much. And um, I'm not going to get done at 10.30. So those of you who are on YouTube, we'll get to Sunday school when we get there. But I'm not, I'm not going to keep doing what I'm doing. It's no one's fault but mine. I'm just going to slow down, all right? Thank you. God is saying, do you get the point? Can you compare what you are doing to make a powerless idol with what God did at creation? where he simply spoke a word and it came into existence. Think about that with me, folks. God spoke a word and it came into existence. That's up against all of this effort that these craftsmen are doing to make a little wooden idol that can't save them, that is of their own making and of their own doing. God's saying, this is like a puzzle for me. A man cuts a tree and from it makes firewood to roast his dinner and then creates an object to worship. What is this about? Who does this? Because we have a God who is the Alpha and Omega, the creator of all things who spoke the world into being. And then there's this human being who cuts down a tree. It's almost like God is sighing. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. I come back to the story of the blind man last week whom Jesus healed. In every case, everyone in that story except the blind man rejected him refused to endorse the possibility that God had opened the eyes of that man. In other words, everyone except the man born blind rejected the Alpha and the Omega, the power of the Alpha and Omega, rejected the possibility that what Jesus had done was actually part of God's story. And what a shame, because these folks were probably all followers of God. And yet they refused to believe the impossible. 
They refused to believe that blindness could be defied and that a power greater than themselves could overcome this man's blindness. Despite being followers of God, they were living fully in an empirical world, a world that they believed existed only to the extent that they could see it and feel it and touch it. They named the name of God, but they didn't worship God. They named the name of God, but they didn't believe in the power of God. And then God, God ends in Isaiah, Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Do you hear again the irony in this passage? God created us. We respond by creating other things that are materials God created, and then we worship them. It's almost as if there's something inside of us that will do just about anything to keep from worshiping the God of creation. That there's this, there's this drive within us to abandon that God, to abandon acknowledging Him as the Alpha and Omega. We see it in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, this kind of drive to, to walk away from God, to, to, to discard the gifts of God, what God has to offer us, to live on some other highway other than the highway of the Alpha and Omega. Because we feel so much better, it seems, if we console ourselves with what we can taste and see and hear and touch. These things seem so much more real and alive and true. And perhaps that's why Generation Z so loves their smartphones. And perhaps it's why we also love our smartphones. Yesterday, I lost my smartphone, which was not so smart. And I didn't know where I left it. And I thought I left it at Giant. And I went rushing back to Giant, probably breaking all the rules of driving that I shouldn't have not have broken. And I got to Giant, and it was not in the cart where I thought maybe I left it. And I walked around the store and asked everyone that I could think of, did you see my smartphone? Because everything's on my smartphone, right? We put everything there. I was praying, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I hope you have my back one more time. I just need you one more time to have my back. I walked out and looked at the carts again, and there was my smartphone. I don't know how it appeared. I don't know where it came from. But it reminded me again that we put way too much investment into these things. Our lives are on our phones. But to what degree have we fashioned our phones and looked to them for the answers rather than to God? To what degree has Google become, for example, our new source of answers to everyday problems? To what extent has Googling become our form of praying? Do you Google first or do you pray first? When any of these questions that comes up to us, where do we go first? It's easy to go to that little thing in our hand. Where do we go first? Do we Google first or do we pray first? And I'm not picking on any of you. I'm talking to myself. You shouldn't hear this as judgment. If conviction is one thing, but I'm talking to myself as well. To what extent do we look at this little phone for our comfort to our fears? To what extent are so many of us, are, and to what extent are so many of our current fears and anxieties and doubts resolved by what we find on Google? Probably none, right? Our anxieties and fears and doubts are rarely resolved on Google or any other social media site. How many of us feel better after spending three hours a day on our phones? Versus how many of us feel better after spending an hour with the Alpha and Omega? To what extent are we looking to that which is so close to us that we can touch, that we can see, that we can hear? To what extent have we chosen to look at that rather than God again, just as the children of Israel did? The outcome for all of us is when we turn away from the Alpha and Omega, when we move off that highway to some other highway, 
we always end up in more pain and more confusion and chaos. Generation after generation reminds us of that. T.S. Eliot is one of my favorite poets. One of his poems, he said this, the endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not stillness. Knowledge of speech, but not of silence. Knowledge of words, but ignorance of the word, with a W, capital W. All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance, and all our ignorance brings us nearer to death. But nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life, with a capital L, that we have lost in our living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries bring us for this time. What does God want to say to me in this moment? What is God's answer? Because I'm telling you, every question you have, God has an answer for, whether he reveals it then or later, now or later. He has an answer for it. One of the things that Heidi and I have found to be true is that throughout all of our health crises and others as well, there is always a pathway. Because if we're on the road of the Alpha and Omega, we're on the pathway. And so when we come up against it, one of the things that we often pray for ourselves and someone else is, God, show us the path here. In your time, show us how to walk this way because we don't know, we can't see, we, can't have the, we don't have the perspective you do, but we're going to trust you. We're going to trust that you're going to bring the people into our lives. You're going to bring the physicians into our lives. You're going to give us the scripture we need. But we trust you and we have found you to be true time and time again. That if we live between the Alpha and Omega, there is a highway that will, will be revealed for us to walk on. Because we are walking on the highway to glory and it is not a highway that is dangerous or that God does not give us wisdom and direction in. When I hear people say that, and I don't, I'm not being, I don't want to be critical and judgmental, I just want to challenge us. When I hear people say that they don't hear God speak to them, there are two responses that I often think about. One, have you cultivated enough silence? Have you cultivated enough silence? Have you shut down enough of the other voices to hear the one voice? Have you said no to enough of the other words to listen to the one word? Because he will speak to you. He will speak to you. He knows best how you hear his voice, and he does not want to disguise his voice for you. He wants you to hear his voice. Have you cultivated enough silence? And number two, for those of us who say we can't hear God, I suspect if we pressed folks who say that, we find out there's an awful lot of other things they're not hearing also. For if our ears are closed to the one who knows us best and knows best how to get our attention, then it's very likely that our ears are closed to other things that we should be paying attention to as well. When Jesus came to us as the word of God, he came not as words, but as the word. He came as the fullest expression of who God is. The first of God and the last of God. The word of God, the language of God, the alphabet of God, the alpha and omega. When God wanted to draw near to us, when God wanted to draw near to us, he came as the word. You and I can choose to live our lives within the safety and security of this highway between Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and was and is to come, or we can step out of that protection, and it's our choice. We can step out of that protection of the story and try to do our own thing, to write our own story, to find our own way, to find it on Google, to figure out how to do it yourself on YouTube. The comfort we get in doing so is that often we feel in control. I've got this. 
I feel in control of our story. But brothers and sisters, one of the things we most need to do is live within that sense of that things are not under my control. Stay in that place. Don't run from that place to control everything. Because we get in trouble time and time again when we leave that space. Remember, you're in a safe space. Even when you don't feel in control of the diagnosis you got or the situation you got, you are still in a safe place because God is still in control. God is still writing the story. You are still in God's highway. You're not stranded. You're not left high and dry. If we stay with God, if we choose with the saints of old to live by faith and not by sight, not that which is empirical, we will experience God's promise to his people at the end of chapter 44. Remember these things, O Elizabethtown Mennonite. You are my servants. I have made you. You are my servants. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And we just acknowledge that as your people this afternoon, this morning, that you are the one who was and is and is to come, that you are the beginning and the end. You're at, you're at all of these places because you're eternal. And so I just pray that your word would speak to us and give us rest and give us peace and give us security and give us comfort in knowing that you are taking care of us that we are safe in your arms, that we are safe in your hands. The scripture is full of those promises that we need not be afraid because you are with us. So make us a courageous people. Courageous because we know you are with us. Courageous because when we step out on that highway, we know we're not alone. Courageous to take the risks that you've called us to take in this time of difficulty in our country and in the world. You are with us, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen.
There are some folks with us this morning who we've not seen assembled for a while, and it's wonderful to see you back. Those of you who are not assembled with us yet, it's wonderful to have you as one of us, as Kate said. And if you're here for the first or second time, um, and those of us who are here regularly, look around and greet someone and welcome them um, as part of this family of God. Lord Jesus, as we go in your name, we thank you that you are with us, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are true, that you are the everlasting God, and that we belong to you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are activities for the youth and for children, and there are, is a Zoom. For those who are not present with us, there in the sanctuary, there's an opportunity to be part of the Sunday school class in the back. Obviously, if you're on Zoom, the opportunity is not to be part of the Sunday school class in the back, but you can Zoom in there. And for those of us who are here, you can go to the back as well and um, talk about the class. And I think, Josh, are you leading that this morning? Okay, Josh Gish is leading that. So make your way back there if you're interested in that. And thank you for being here, and God's blessing to you.